If you are a startup looking to grow in Cambridge, the Bradfield Centre offers a range of flexible membership packages which put you in control of your office and home working mix. There's a vibrant, collaborative atmosphere, on-site cafe, plenty of green outside space and regular member social events. For more information, visit bradfieldcentre.com or call 01223 919600. Welcome to the Cambridge Tech Podcast, talking all things technology from the heart of the UK's tech capital. Here are your hosts, Faye Holland and James Parton. Hi, I'm James. And I'm Faye. So James, how's your week been? Another one that's flown by. Uh, one I've been up to this week. Lots of Trinity Bradfield Prize preparation. So uh, the application deadline is the 31st of October. So a flurry of activity around that. Had a good catch up with Rod at the UK Business Angels Association this week. So the Bradfield Centre is the UK BAA East of England Angel Hub. That's a mouthful. Okay, so, is that new? It's newish, yeah. It has been for a while, but we're just in the process of rebooting it. So the lovely Emmy uh, at Cambridge Angels is now involved in that too, to host new angels into the into the location, which is fantastic. Great. So we've got more angels at the Bradford. Yeah, lots of angels. Yeah, which is very apt as we're coming into the festive season. <laughs> and also spent some time with IE Cambridge as well, talking all things entrepreneurship at the university. How about you? So my week started at the Milner Institute, who are doing some really interesting things. So hopefully we'll be able to share some news about that in due course. I had the monthly Cambridge Marketing SIG meeting over on the Cambridge Science Park and a really interesting presentation with Madeline Ball from Owlstone Medical, um, who was talking about scientific writing and the art behind it. So that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, And then I ended the week at Mary Edwards College for a day of women in STEM, um, where they were literally covering everything from space to engineering, entrepreneurship to medicine. So really interesting end to the week. So I guess we can move on and talk about this week's news. Yeah, what's been happening? So the first one actually was while I was at Mary Edwards College. At the event, they announced a collaboration with AstraZeneca to urge more Cambridge University women to set up companies. And they've got quite a few programmes involved in that. The other big news is the word on the street is Raspberry Pi looks set for a London IPO, so won't be following Arm onto Wall Street. Absolutely. And some of you will remember the podcast episode with Eben Upton. It seems that now he's keeping a very close eye on trading conditions on both sides of the Atlantic, but appears to have his sights set on London, possibly in the second half of of next year in 2024. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Another local example of a a company that's gone public recently is Darktrace, who chose to float in London. And it's fair to say that they've had a pretty bumpy ride so it would be interesting to explore more and compare and contrast the incentives for floating in london versus uh the us yeah another potential episode in the off in there i think yeah um so for more information on both of those items do head over to business weekly both online and on linkedin yeah and talking to business weekly don't forget that they have their bumper awards issue which is out right now 
Great. So let's move on to today's episode. Today's guest is yet another person, and Richard York will attest to this, that I basically wore down with my incessant invitations, but only because I think they're super interesting and a great company to watch. So um, hopefully you'll agree with me at the end of the podcast. The company is called Monumo, and they're using deep tech to reinvent the electric motor. Yeah. And to tell us more, we're joined by CEO Dominic Vergine, who talks to us about Monumo but also his journey and the importance of creating companies that address sustainability. Dominic, welcome. Thanks for joining us today. Why don't we start with a little kind of introduction to Monumo, um, how it came about and what you do. Monumo is reinventing the electric motor, which is quite a bold statement, I I understand. But um, uh, we're able to do that through the application of deep tech, And motors really have to be as good as they possibly can be, given that they are central to electrification, decarbonisation. They already consume 50% of the world's energy, and that's just going to rise and rise and rise. So very, very important tech and a lot to do there to make them as as good as they can possibly be, and that's our focus. The ideas for Monimo came about uh, during a project that I ran at Arm on Innovation, looking at energy and areas that the latest computing techniques could disrupt. And we had a look at the motor, and I thought it was absolutely fascinating because at that point it had barely changed for 100 years. Semiconductors were always bolted on rather than designed in, and they are designed kind of in silos, uh, which we'll probably come to in a bit, but they're not designed as one. They tend to be designed as the sum of the parts, and so there's huge scope for improvement there. And that deep tech you referenced there, you're using artificial intelligence, is that correct? It's it's artificial intelligence. It's various kinds of artificial intelligence. So generative AI plays a part, but it's all sorts of other methods as well. Um, it's machine learning. Mm-hmm. And crucially, it's speed. So as an example, about three months ago, we were talking to a chief engineer at a very well-known British engineering company, and we said we could do 125,000 simulations in a day. And she said, that's impossible. Well, today we can do 2 million simulations in a day. And if we wanted to pay for more cloud compute, we could do 200 million. So there's been this huge shift in what's possible in terms of simulation speed. And then that really is the foundation that allows us to do everything else. So maybe a two-part question. Um, You mentioned this impressive growth of the number of simulations that you can run on your technology. Maybe give us a little explainer in terms of what the actual value to the customer is there in terms of what those simulations actually look like. And then maybe the second part of the question is, from a customer adoption perspective, is your technology like a plug-in to their existing simulation software or is it a standalone platform? Mm -hmm. On the simulations, I, I like to use a quote, I think it was from Edison, when he said that, uh, I think he was talking about genius, but let's say, you know, genius, innovation, invention, that that is uh, 99% perspiration and 1% inspiration. And the fascinating thing about the latest deep tech is that that 99% perspiration is being done in simulation. And what that allows you to do is then explore that, that huge space because the deep tech is just showing you the inspiring things saying, look at this. What about this? We thought about this. Mm. And it's 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 extraordinary some of the things that we're seeing there. And then that means that we're not just talking about efficiency here. We're not we're talking about a better motors in every possible way. So does it need to be lighter? 
does it need to have stronger torque because you're putting it in a truck? Does it actually have to have some really interesting properties because you're putting it in a truck? So trucks drive around empty and they drive around laden. You know, that's totally different demands on the motor, mm. removing rare earths. So 80% of electric vehicles at the moment, the motors use permanent magnets. Permanent magnets have a, a, um, a ratio of 1 to 20,000. So for every one tonne of permanent magnet material, there's 20,000 tonnes of mining waste. I mean, it's kind of quite a good definition of unsustainable, that really. Mm. So removing them is extremely important. Or if you can't completely remove them, at least reduce them to the absolute minimum necessary. So lots of different ways in which you can produce better electric motors. But it's all around that simulation where you can explore everything. I mean, if you think about an academic or someone in R&D in a big company... They cannot go down a new research avenue unless there's some evidence there's something there. But we can do that now. So because you can explore hundreds of millions of different things and one of them might be something that we've never thought about before that is really valuable, really interesting, and we can bring them to light now. So it's really very exciting, actually. I, I think um, in terms of uh, addressing the, the climate crisis and generating all the clean energy we need, this technology, as it evolves, will be what helps us do that. And there was a second part to your question. So on the second piece of, so how, does, how would a customer interact with this? So right now, it would be around working with them, you know, understanding what their issues are, looking at their current... Um, uh, solution, their current motor, and then adjusting it. You, we, Monumo, use our our software, our tools, to then produce a design that is better for them. And then right. we we take that back, and they would license it and then pay royalty on whatever we've done. Right. Okay. Interesting. Um, we are not selling the software. Interesting. We're not selling plugins. We are selling IP. Okay. And we're selling know-how as well. But it, it's important to understand that um, our deep tech system, that's the golden goose, you know, the goose that lays the golden eggs. So we sell the eggs one by one. We're not selling the goose. Mm. <laughs> that's ours. We're not giving access to it. It would actually take years and years more and far more capital and a much bigger company to turn our system into something that anyone could use. It takes a lot of expertise, um, and it would I think it would actually undervalue the company if we did that. So we keep the deep tech internal, we sell its outputs. And that's really interesting. We'll come on to a little bit more um, detail in a moment. So I first came across you at the start of last year, probably nearly two years ago, mm -hmm. and you were very much in stealth mode. I remember I was going, come and get, I need to get you on 21 to watch because you're going to be a company to watch. But you were like, no, no, we're in stealth mode. <laughs> but you've just also won the Business Weekly Tech Scale-Up Award. So you are now emerging from stealth. We are. So yes. can you just talk the audience a little bit through why you kept very stealth and why now you're coming out of stealth mode? We were very confident in the potential uh, to re be really disruptive in the electric motor space, um, but we had to get the specifics. You know, we had to get specific examples like the one I just gave around the speed, um, and so it was really hard to know what we could achieve 
before we had achieved it. So we were putting all of these systems in place that allow us to expand the design space and then start exploring the design space using some of this machine learning and deep tech approach um, and then pick out examples and also get the confidence of, well, where do we actually sit in terms of, um, uh, of uh, commercial viability? At what point will we have something to sell? Um, where are the other companies in this? Because until you, until you start having deep conversations with potential customers, you don't really know what they might be doing in a skunk works or what kind of internal software tools they might have that aren't visible elsewhere. So we were just trying to find our feet, understand exactly what position we were in before we started talking about what we're doing. But we now have a very good feel for where we are technically and commercially, so we're ready to start talking to people about about the company. And it sounds like the, the technology could be applied to many different things. So picking electric motors, was that a view on a field where you could cause the most disruption and have the biggest impact? Well, it is where it's where the idea came from okay. originally. Um, obviously, what we're doing very, very broadly is AI for engineering, mm. but that's just that is far too broad. Yeah. Um, so we need to focus. Electric motors are a really nice multi-physics problem because they're nicely constrained. So you've got the three core elements. You, so you've got the motor geometry, the electromagnetics, you've got the inverter, the sort of power control electronics, and that's really the central core of the motor. And then you've got things like the transmission and the cooling and the battery management as well. So sort of six to eight pieces in there mm which is nicely constrained to then do some very clever machine learning and find optimal results across all of those. So instead of just bolting things together, you take one and change it a bit and it has a ripple effect on another over here and you keep doing that very, 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 very fast until you find an ideal solution. So that's why electric motors. And then also, I mean, it's an enormous market. It's absolutely central to the climate crisis. So yeah. that's obviously important for me personally. I've background in sustainability. I want to do something that actually is impactful and matters. Um, it's very, very useful when recruiting. And there are also huge investment funds available for anything that can help in that space. Um, so that's why electric motors. And then why automotive? My goodness, that's a competitive market at the moment. I mean, you look at all the incumbents, they are very understandably scared and desperate to to keep their positions. You know, they don't want to be another blockbuster or Kodak in the shift from digital to AI, which we're going through at the moment. So the automotive market is incredibly competitive at the moment. It's it's got all the incumbents, all the traditional car companies that are desperate to to keep their position in the face of competition from the Teslas and the Rivians and the Lucids. Uh, and there are now almost as many disruptive automotive companies as there are traditional incumbents. So the market is huge. And then you've got all the electronics companies looking at the space as well. So I believe Apple are indeed playing with a, building a car. Uh, Foxconn have built cars. Okay. Um, LG have built cars. Sony has built a car. So it's it's an extraordinary space. And all of those companies, of course, are looking for something that will give them an edge, an advantage. And we believe that's something that we can provide. So picking up on that a little bit more, you know, where do you see Monumo going? You know, what's what's that ultimate mission? I mean, you've got your bold statement reinventing the electric motor, and you've given some examples already about how you're envisaging doing that. You know, where do you, where do you want it to go? Well, um, my background is is in ARM. We believe we can build extraordinary technology with a relatively small team 
and then license it and collect royalties. That is the goal. We now have almost 20 NDAs with some of the largest tier one suppliers into automotive and some of the biggest brands, all of them ones that you will have heard of, you know, household names. And we know that they, because of the shifts in the industry, that actually that model of licensing and paying royalties is now becoming a lot more common. Uh, and if you've got something really compelling, then that can work well in automotive. So what I would say is that in, let's say, 10 years' time, just as you find ARM in every mobile phone pretty much on the planet, you would find Monumo IP similarly, obviously with a with a focus initially on electric motors in, in automotive, but then gradually moving beyond that. Interesting. So Faye referenced earlier that you have been in stealth mode uh, over the last kind of two years, but um, you've been raising money, capital in that in that time period. I believe you've raised 10 million today in two funding rounds and yeah, you're, just over. you're just about to get to your series A. So it'd be interesting to get your reflections on that fundraising process and how that went, because obviously we hear a lot about challenging financial markets and What's the reception you got from investors? And were they European, US investors? Just to give the, the listeners a flavour of that process. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's, it's interesting you mentioned the, the sort of global financial markets because that might, might actually have helped us. We, we raise mainly from global high net worths. And when, when they look at the risk of putting their investments into the global markets and what's happening in those, as opposed to looking at an interesting startup, perhaps they were making the decision that an interesting startup that might yield in sort of, you know, five years' time was actually a better bet than the markets. So oh. almost all of our funding to date has come from high net worths, business angels, mainly globally, that um, a significant amount from, from board and founders as well. And then moving into Series A, of course, we will be looking at structured funds, VCs, CVCs. And are you looking at a particular set of investors around that or are you going pretty open well we naturally fit into both deep tech mm. and sustainability esg funds which mm. is really fortunate for us because they're probably the only two that are really still investing and still have a lot of capital and uh, obviously there's a huge buzz around anything ai at the moment so being at that cross section looks pretty promising whether our lead investor is from deep tech or, or on the sustainability side, obviously, I, I don't know, but it does appeal to both. And that capital is just to continue scaling the business. Is there any particular area that you're going to deploy that capital? It, it is It is really. Um, it's to produce more prototypes. So we'll be expanding our prototyping facility in, in Coventry on the Warwick Business Park. And we'll also be building out our team. We're not going to expand hugely, but... We probably need another maybe 10 engineers here, similar amount probably in Coventry, investment in the prototyping, actually in the hardware itself. Um, and then, of course, ensuring that everyone knows about what we're doing so that we can get uh, get the customers and get the interest. Obviously, it's, it is a global business. Coventry is interesting. I mean, we have quite a international audience for the podcast, so they might not be familiar with that kind of Midlands engineering mm. kind of heritage Maybe you could explain why you've got that kind of dual location. Sure. I mean, it's, it's obviously it's the home of, uh, of Jaguar Land Rover. Lots and lots of automotive companies around that area uh, and have been for you know over a century. Mm. We quickly realised that we needed. In fact, it's, it's part of our sort of uh, unique positioning is that we actually have a hardware team. We have electric motor 
experts in the business as well as deep tech. Uh, And that really helps us in terms of understanding the problems that the deep tech can solve, where to focus, how to build. And um, we, we realized that bringing the hardware engineers, the motor experts to Cambridge wasn't really going to be viable. Oh. Similarly, moving the AI and deep tech team to Coventry also doesn't really work. So being pragmatic, we had to have the two sites. Oh, interesting. Do you think you'll stay in the UK? Obviously, the automotive industry is global. You know, you could could it go to the US? Could it go to Japan? Have you got any views on on that at the moment? Um, I'm sure we will open up other offices. I don't see any reason why the HQ would have to move, but we are actually looking at a US office at the moment, and then we will we will look to see which other regions where we might need to have um, facilities in over time. Great. Um, I want to pick up on a couple of things you've said. You've mentioned ARM. So I believe that you created a role as a sustainability lead. They didn't have one. You created one 11 years ago. You've stayed there. Um, What was that journey like? And do you think that that also set you up for running this business now? Yeah, I, I should. I think it did. Yes, I, I I had a background before ARM in startups. I actually started a a company with uh, Martin Frost and Ian Murphy, who were two of the founders of Monumo in the past. But I had no big company experience, and so I think that where it really helps, but partly in getting that experience and seeing how a much larger business operates, um, but also. I just mentioned Martin and Ian, it's also about who you know. So I I couldn't possibly be doing what I'm doing without the support of the people that I've worked with over decades, like Martin, like Ian. Simon Seegers is helping us, the, the previous CEO of ARM. Graham Budd is an advisor who was CEO and president. So you gather around you over the years a, a kind of all your network and your your team and people who can help and they all have their own particular areas of expertise and support and their own networks and so that's I think that's how you can really catalyze a a startup Um, and I didn't have that in my early 20s um, but Arm has certainly helped me build build out that network and of course we've employed quite a few few people that we work with uh, together at Arm. You are obviously a, a serial founder. Um, you've got a, a track record of a number of businesses, social enterprise, a charity. I think one failure, which is obviously a good thing. Mm-hmm. Five others that have run for more than 10 years each and they're still operational today. So there must be a huge amount of insights and learnings that you've uh, you know accumulated through that that process. What would you describe as your kind of startup mantra? You know, Do you have that kind of secret formula? For the listeners that are out there that are starting or thinking about starting their own startup, ask for help. Don't burn bridges. Spot the good people and keep them close. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned obviously you 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 uh, listed off a number of people there that you've got around you. Mm-hmm. Relationships are so important, aren't they? I mean, it's interesting. One thing that we see uh, fairly regularly actually is a lot of startup founders. They're so head down building their their businesses or they're so engrossed in their technology they sometimes maybe under invest in getting themselves out there Mm -hmm. and networking and Mm -hmm. going to the kinds of events that you might have these serendipitous introductions to someone that could completely change your life so i mean would you advocate that they they 
do carve the time out to to do those things yeah yeah definitely or or of course you know some people don't like doing those things um and so then well you probably need to hire someone who does so it's about understanding your own strengths and weaknesses but you definitely need to put yourselves it's about making your own luck isn't it if you don't put yourself in lots of positions where a serendipitous meeting might occur then it won't happen mm. so you have to go and try and test things out and see where what you're doing has, is a good fit, see where you get traction. Because a huge amount in, in, in my career has been around serendipity. But if you're not in the room, it can't you can't have those discussions and those meetings that could lead to investment or lead to hiring someone really good. Yeah, so true. And I think it's also where you base yourself as well. You know, we, we talk an awful lot on the podcast about the Cambridge ecosystem and you've housed yourself, I believe, in the Cambridge Institute for Sustainability Le- Leadership in their new canopy. What's that been like? Who else is in there? Do you all talk to each other? We do. We certainly do. Yeah. Um, no, that's been great. Um as soon as I heard about it, or actually saw it, because you couldn't really miss it on Regent Street yeah. when they were doing it up, I thought, well, that's fascinating. And I reached out and uh, uh, reached out to Polly and Martin. I've known her for a long time. Um, and we actually moved in before they did. Um, so um, we'd been looking all over Cambridge for a suitable base, and that's absolutely ideal for us. Um, and there are those serendipitous sort of meetings. So they have all sorts of delegations coming through and they normally ask someone from Monimo to go and talk. Um, I was at a, an event just earlier this week for family offices where they're helping family offices understand uh, how to invest in sustainability, how to think about innovation and risk. Um, and you meet all sorts of interesting people and you don't know, I don't know where, where the, any of those discussions will go anywhere, but it's, it's all good practice for me describing what we're doing because it changes and evolves all the time and it may well be that something happens that could be very interesting from the discussions there it's also good for us to to sort of keep on the on the pulse of what's happening in sustainability because we want to root not just the output of our business but actually the way we operate in in good practice as well um so dominic it's been great conversation with you here today You've talked about lots of things. You've got your Series A coming up. You've got all of these NDAs in place. You're looking at controlled expansion. So what else? What 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 are we going to be looking for that's happening with Money May? I think the next thing that will be really exciting is when we start being able to show our prototypes. So one's in being built at the minute. Another one will be ready middle of next year. And then I think we'll just see more and more and more. And they're quite radically different. I think they're really exciting. So a lot of the Series A investment goes into those. There'll be some expansion, but I'm very cautious of growing too fast. I think that's often uh, a big problem for startups. And there's no need in our case. We need a core team, very smart, deep tech and AI engineers, and an equally small team of very smart motor experts and motor engineers. And we don't need to go crazy. I actually think we need to be focused. So we, we, we are focused on automotive. We're not going to start getting drawn all over into other things because there's quite enough to do in that space. And then over time, hopefully, as we bring in revenue from customers, as opposed to having to raise more and more and more investment money, we will then look at other segments, other regions and grow. 
that, that's great. Certainly, it's going to be interesting watching um, over, over the next year or so. And I think some really good pointers for startups there who are listening in. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Today's show was produced by Carl Homer of Cambridge TV and supported by our media partner, Business Weekly. The Cambridge Tech Podcast is available on all major podcast platforms and on cambridgetechpodcast.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please give it a five-star review. It will really help others discover the show. Do you have a passion to inspire the next generation of scientists, coders, managers and creative geniuses? Or do you want to pay back to the community as part of your CSR objectives? At Form the Future, we have programmes to help you inspire the next generation of workers, build your future talent pipeline and invest in your people. Go to formthefuture.org.uk to find out more.